Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, my name is Christopher Price. Welcome back to another edition of the Patriots Report right here on the Believe Network. Today's guest, Matt Chatham, former Patriots linebacker, three-time Super Bowl champion. He's going to let us know what he thinks about the Patriots draft, about some of the things that they've done post-draft as well as post-free agency. He's also going to tell us a little bit about Vince Wilfork and why Vince was such a special player and why he not only deserves a spot in the Patriots Hall of Fame, but in Canton as well. But first, want to let you guys know today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up now and use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Now let's get to our conversation with Matt Chatham. Matt, I want to start with this. You had some very pointed thoughts on the criticism that some had of the Patriots' decision to draft Cole Stranger 29. Give me your thoughts on the decision to select him and explain some of the back and forth that you went through with folks on social media. So I think arguments like these often sort of kick off because of uh, maybe a wrong perception or sort of a starting point that everyone sort of agrees to that may very well be false or was never challenged. And I think the notion that somehow guards can't be a first-round value is something that I think was carried around a lot of people. Uh, I personally was advocating for the for the kid from Nebraska, uh, excuse me for Boston College as a possible if we were talking several months before the draft, and uh, I, so but that would obviously set off people that were excited to see a weapon or whatever, right? But I think a lot of people this notion sort of got floated. Oh, guard is not a, a position of value and for a first round. I mean, yes, they're you know it's important, but you can get them at other places. But I, I don't if you just simply accepted that to be true, I think you would be misinformed because it's a perpetual thing each year where there are multiple guards taken in a, in a given draft class. I think I actually have it here in front of me in uh, some old notes I was going through. Uh, da, da, da. I'll pull it up real quickly. So, yes. Yeah, so in, in this last one, we had three, uh, in, uh, the, in 2021, there were two in 19, two. So they did skip in 20 and 18 to 16 to 17 must've skipped as well. But, uh, the, the oddball thing here though, that happened was, and again, we're not talking about like the 29th, 30th, and 31st pick each year. I mean, in, in a given year, we're talking about the sixth overall, the 11th overall, 14th, 14th, 17th, 17th, 15th, 17th. You know, this is, we're not talking about low value bottom of first question of whether or not to take them in the second kind of thing. And we're also not talking about sort of the, the also ran GMs of the NFL. A lot of these guys, Chris Ballard, I mean, go down the list. Uh, it just in this last season, um, 
who was it from uh, Tom Telesco out there at the Chargers? I mean, that's mm-hmm. sort of the new nouveau sort of organization. And I, I don't recall them getting all this blowback for taking a guard. Like this is uh, people that really value your quarterback, these young quarterbacks, the notion that the guy that's arm's length from him is not valuable is insane. I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. Now, granted, you don't often see as many of them go, of course. Tackles tend to go more. Why? I, I think, quite frankly, because you have three positions. You have there, – there's a swing – there's a swing tackle and there's only two guards, right? So in a given class, yeah, if a typical first round is going to have maybe four to five tackles and you're going to eat, like we've shown here, two to three guards, that's not that unusual. And they don't typically go nearly as high. And I think that's that's sort of derived from contract value. Well, you know, tackles are up making near 20 million now and your top guards are in the lower double digits. So that stuff all makes sense. But if you had gone forth with the premise that a guard can't, shouldn't, won't be taken in the first, you were misled because that's not true at all. And I think the other portion of it was, and again, I think it's, it's equally crazy given how a run first they are and how B he is in close proximity to having an elite player to the guy that you value most on the team and the quarterback. I just think it, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think that's somehow of lower or lesser value. Yeah. You could hit the jackpot and get, you know, Steve Neal, but <laughs> you can also, or, or Shaq, another example of someone who was a little lower, but you also can guess high and get someone that walks in and starts on day one. In all those instances, and I think the people would often mention, oh, yes, but you got a Ryan Connolly at one point. You got, you got Shaq. You got those guys. The, the unique thing about the heavy investment guys is they're presumed to walk in and play for you, right? So if it, if it takes Cole a year or two to get going, then, okay, it's a different story. Then maybe they missed on the wrong guy. But if they feel like they have a pro-ready thing, a starter, the minute he's there thing, that's different than what, again, guys I got a tremendous amount of respect for, like Ryan Wendell and, and Dan Connolly and Shaq and all the guys that were mentioned. Hey, you can get them later. They can walk in the door and play at high end, start level right off the bat. That's why you take them at this, at this level. And so the other half of the argument, though, was this presumption that because a lot of draft evaluators had them as a second or third round, and I always have to be careful when I go to this line because I, I know some people take it as if I'm mocking or deriding the guys that do that. I'm not, uh, but we need to understand it's entertainment, entertainment that I use. I'm an avid user of a lot of the names you know guys who do draft mocks, right? And, and a lot of those services and the whole the brands that are behind them, I use them extensively for my own research for TV. I've done it for years. So it's not as if they're uh, amateurs or it's not as if they have no clue what they're talking about, but they are outside the game and it's for the purpose of entertainment. They're not tuned in to, to what someone's about to do. Uh, and the, the fears that one might have about not doing it because of, in, you know, internal information they have about where someone else might move behind. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what drives when you take one, not, not how they were sequentially numbered one to a hundred <laughs> positioned independently by a scouting service. That's, that's completely irrelevant to the world of draft day. Draft day is about, we've targeted a guy we highly value the guy. And then, Oh man, two guards went off the board prior to this. And that hasn't happened in several drafts. So all of a sudden, if you really think between three and four, five, six, seven, there's a massive drop off in quality and you're looking at developmental guy, you got to take him. The idea that you took him at, you know, high twenties or low 30, whatever it was, as opposed to, uh, you know, 40 something or, or, or 50 where they originally sat, that's that, that gap is relatively immaterial overall in the argument. So I don't think people realized that presumed, Hey, he'll, he'll still be there at 54 they didn't know the history, quite frankly. They didn't know the history that no, the third guard in the draft does not get that far. There's six years in a row history. But it absolutely does not happen. There was also a quirky little thing in the history that after the second goes, 
there was a three-year run <laughs> where the third guard went directly after them. So, you know, that's what organizations have as information. And that's what their sort of tangible fears are. It's not that we're not supposed to take them here. It's that we are in a situation where we made a choice to let our really good guy go and free agent or through a trade. So we, it's a very valuable position. We have to fill it. And the speculative fill is, uh, could be a long-term project. And that's not what they were looking to do. It looks like they went and did the, the sort of savvy thing in the moment and got a good player. If he has ended up being a good player, then it was a bad move. <laughs> if he ends up being a great player, it was a great move. And it's, it's really that simple. The notion of value off of an aggregate of people outside the game is not real. It's like the WWE. Again, I, I enjoy it, but that's what it is. <laughs> what about the idea that, look, I understand that guys like Stephen Neal and maybe even to some extent, Ryan Wendell are maybe outliers are, are, are can't really be measured like this. But what about the idea that they are going to start putting more of an investment in offensive linemen because Dante Scarnecchi is not there with the idea that maybe those guys who had a chance to be coached up, the Stephen Neal's, the Dan Conley's, those type of guys. And again, this is not a shot at them, but those type of guys are not going to get a chance to be coached up by someone like Dante Scarnecchi. So the theory is, look, we need to invest in day one guys, not just for the protection of Mac Jones, but for the overall development of our off- our offensive line. I mean, it's possible, but I, I think one of the things that we've seen as this thing is configured is, is you do sort of have slotted guys. You know, you sort of have, you know, your left tackle is a former first rounder of yours. You know, your, your, presumpt- your presumptive uh, left guard is somebody you've now taken in the first round. Your right guard is was a low draft draft pick, but you hit a home run. I mean, everyone loved him. <laughs> the highest grading uh, rookie offensive lineman in the entire NFL. And then you've invested with a really, really smart and sort of under market value right tackle deal with your with uh, with uh, Trent Brown. So um, and your long term sort of stalwart guy in the middle and David. So I, I just think they've kind of got what they've got. Mm-hmm. So the the developmental guys are still going to be there. I think Matty P is going to have a great opportunity to to in his own right, sort of, you know, kind of carve his own path. But those guys uh, don't have to do it this year, right? So he's going to have an opportunity to target two or three guys or whatever within that room that might one day become swing guard tackle guys, or, or I'm sorry, swing interior guys, or a guy that becomes the third tackle. Maybe it's somebody still on the roster. Maybe it's somebody new that we don't know. But one thing I will simply say is I, I spend every one of these years where I've done podcasts or done stuff on SN where we would hammer what were keys to a game. And I know it's popular to talk about the blind sides and the edges and sort of where sacks come from, but we week in, week out, especially with say a team like the chiefs with Chris Jones as an interior sort of kill your rush or the Aaron Donalds of the world, like the porch matters just as much as the edges. And I don't think people get that, you mm-hmm. know, because the tackles paid more ergo, he's more important. Yeah. But that part of the pocket isn't necessarily more important for the quarterback to have comfort in to throw it. It's not. I mean, that's not even arguable. If you watch how a pocket forms on a given play, the place where you there's a, and this is this is important as well because you won't get this from a for an outside service grade. Yes, you can get really serviceable, good starter level play at guard from guys in later rounds. There's a massive, massive difference from an elite player and a good player. Mm-hmm. An elite player will just stop things at the line of scrimmage, give you two, three, you know, an, an additional stride or two to step into a throw. A guy with a clean pockets, a guy that. They won't rush over with their best people because it's a waste one-on-one. The guy that's an absolute killer, if you got one, I'm not saying we know that that's the case, but if you got one, a killer, a guard, that on run plays, you can run behind and get first downs over and over and over again throughout the course of a game, that's incredibly valuable. The quarterback 
does most of his good work, not stepping into throws behind a tackle, it's stepping into throws in, the, in his that's front right. line. So that's, that's why this position matters. And it's not that those names you mentioned weren't awesome Patriots. They were. Mm-hmm. But if you get a Mankins type who takes whoever the hell is over him and puts him on the other side of the line of scrimmage, the quarterback has this giant sort of Kramer interstate to drive and swerve. <laughs> like, and that's incredibly valuable. Like, again, I think you could, people would be surprised. Uh, it, it'd, be, it'd be fun for, for fans to get a chance, maybe through VR or something like that, to, to try to play quarterback and try to complete these throws. You know what would make it easier for them to do it? Not the quality of the receiver that's out there running the route, the comfort around them. <laughs> the guys that can put them in a, in a, rather than in a phone booth, put them in sort of an eight by eight office. And that makes completing to whoever the hell it is out there running the route, provided their competent pros are getting open, it'll be, they'll get it done. Right. So I just think it's, there's a reverse thinking in part because of how fantasy football works that you presume the guy catching it somehow more valuable than the space you were given to complete it, whoever you wanted to. That's, that's backwards. That's not how it works. So I think they get it, and I think the building inside out, both sides of the ball, is where the smart teams are going to do it. Being able to step into that throw consistently, really, I, I would think when you're talking about a young quarterback like Mac Jones, being able to build that confidence, I would think would certainly not just help your running game, obviously, because you do have that strong interior line, but also help out the passing game to be able to get him from a level from here to here that maybe we didn't see on a consistent basis last year, not through no fault of his own, but just it just was not there for him as a rookie. Yeah, I think like with any position, like you, you would see this. I mean, I could use another example on some other part of the defense or, or anywhere else in the offense. There is a gap between good and great. There is. And it's not to deride what good is because you love having good. But if you really, truly have great at something, there's this new sort of opportunity around it, right? And the thing that I would look at with, so for a situation like Mac, uh, Mac doesn't have, Mac can run. Mac is closer to like a Burrow. I know they mentioned that Burrow's 40 times or a little better and all that, but I mean, he's closer to a guy that can lead and get pick up for downs, first downs, but he's not a guy like Lamar who's going to just run all day. But what's important about that kind of guy, he can take off and go. He's not going to take off and go around the edge. You don't run a boot. You're not, you're not dashing outside the pocket. He's leading back down through the pocket. And where's the best way to go? Well, the guy that's stoned at the line of scrimmage, the guard, those guys not getting worked over. It's really tough for you to go scramble if you've given up four yards of push in your lap. <laughs> if you want the guy that runs good but not great to take off and have avenues, A, you want those, you want that space so he can throw from behind it. And B, if he's got to leave, it'd be great to have a guy locked up over him who's dominating this matchup. And it's in his lap. It's not out to his periphery. So I think that's that's why this stuff matters. And you're not going to be unhappy if he ends up being a great player, which you're, you hope you got if you took him where you took him. But you're not going to be unhappy with the results of having a great player in that spot with this guy. I was joking with Bob Sosi last week about a group of guys. I refer to them, the list of them as the, oh, yeah, these guys are also on the roster group of players. <laughs> guys like Cameron McGrone, yeah. uh, Raquan McMillan, Mac Wilson, three linebackers with some of the offseason moves the Patriots made. It would appear they have those guys, those three specifically, have a real opportunity. What are some of the things that they need to show this offseason at OTAs in camp that could allow them to seize this chance? Well, I think particularly with McMillan, because he has starting experience in a couple of different places, but then when injured, they just want to make sure he's the same guy, you know, because they're obviously fond of him, brought him in for that reason. Mac, on the other hand, is, you know, he's just a recent starter and he's that different body type. He's 
clearly, uh, you know, distinct, not better, but distinct in enable, you know, than, than a guy like, like Hightower was. So it's kind of going in the way of the different body type and presuming he does what he did there, they'll be pleased. Uh, I think with McGrone, it's just that uh, all the promise that we saw, um, you know, can he, after working behind the scenes, but not getting to a live, is, is he able to do it on week one? I mean, there is a mild gamble here, of course. I mean, at least get, getting the, the, the trade situation from Cleveland is less gamble because you have a, a full-time starter who's just sliding over into your world and he's a little different kind of player than what you have. But in the other two situations, McMillan has been in, you know, three spots in a relatively short career. So you're hoping that, you know, that there are no more bumps. And if, if physical, physical limitations come up again, well, then, you know, that, that gamble didn't work. Uh, but if you have, you know, one of the three hit, I guess, uh, considering that you still have Bentley is a really underrated player and Bentley doesn't, you know, has the hammer in the middle of a three, four, or even is the mic in a, a four, three, he doesn't have to run all over the place. He has to go guard to guard tackle to tackle at most, but you, you do have that other body type and potentially any of those three guys that will, uh, who can do that thing that people think, you know, they don't, they don't see as much of, uh, but I wouldn't, let's put it this way. I wouldn't overemphasize the notion of, hitting a home run with one of those two players. You get a nice solid contribution there somewhere this year. And that's very helpful. I, don't forget that like a Jabril Peppers mm-hmm. or, or, or one of the other safe, big safeties on the back end, the way people play nickel these days uh, or any other sub configuration or it's a multi DB kind of thing. Start to think of those guys as your box players as well. They're not mm-hmm. going to over the guards necessarily, but they're going to come down and fill late. They're going to be part of what's packages. They're, they're just sort of late at it. And if you weren't happy with <laughs> their ability to chase down tosses or something like that in the run, which I think, you know, towards the end of the year, it was a fair criticism that they don't play make outside the numbers from the inside as much. But if that's, if you want to overcompensate and get that going more and see more of those kinds of plays, they might come from mid depth as opposed to down in box, you know, it might come from safety bodies and they have seemingly more of those. Now they're really loading up on the back end, or versatile inside the numbers, but maybe not necessarily the box kind of guys. Now I, I say that, and it's just, it's going to be fun because, you know, I would put him in the, Oh yeah. Kind of category to mm-hmm. especially because he's definitely injury is probably in that. Oh yeah. I forgot we had him and, and using McGrone in that way. It was, it's not that I was championing the guy. Cause I just, I saw the same highlights everyone did from Michigan stuff. I, you know, I, Hey, looks good to me. You know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't, do draft direction stuff but he seemed like the kind of guy that if slide him up two or three rounds this year because of an absence of an injury um you know everyone would be thrilled right now that you got Cameron McGrone (laughs) so (laughs) that's kind of where things sit and uh, maybe we overestimated the notion of a need there that they realized with better information because they get to see him every day that they already had those things taken care of well, that's the argument that one of the reasons why they did not go get a linebacker at 29, that they like the guys who are in the building already, whether it's, you know, McMillan or McGrone or whatever the case may be. One other question on that point, and I'm glad you bring up the, you know, the safeties. It seems to me that one of the easier ways to get faster on defense is to be able to get guys like Kyle Duggar, uh, Adrian Wilson, and Jabril Peppers into your system, those bigger safeties who can almost play like linebackers and it feels like we're kind of trending in that direction a little bit that is if peppers hits yeah i mean that's that's really the idea here that uh you have more guys and again there's this kind of weird 
don't know how to describe this through an audio only format, but it's, not <laughs> a, it, it's a strong safety that is in sort of proximity to the box because he's sort of rolled down on maybe a slot or a flex tight end or something. He's not technically inside the tackle box, but if there's off tackle run his way, he's involved in one of the gap responsibilities, right? If there's toss, he may very well be the force force player. If there's outside zone, he may very well be uh, by assignment supposed to get that. So the thing about lighter linebackers, the, the times where I think people saw sort of the absence of the air quote playmaking is if you get into a third and eight or nine and you get in a catch and run situation or you got in draw or they, you know, or you, you got in spots where the guys that were just studs like Hightower and, and Van Noy and those guys are, and even Jamie uh, Collins, it, it's, uh, it's a little different on first and second down when everything's all tightened up and the, then when it's later and there's a little more space. So I, I caution people because this, this happens in coaching, right? Where you, you just fired or got rid of or moved on from the disciplinarian and you want the coaches, the players coach guy. Mm-hmm. And then a year or two later, you're going, well, I, I now see the vacancy of the trade-off. I got that thing that we never had, but now I'm missing the other thing, right? So I know people are so excited. You're going to see the toss plays, right? You're going to see, wow, you see the guy that went sideline to sideline and super faster than the other guy. Okay, that's cool. Uh, what about direct run? <laughs> make, sure, <laughs> make sure that you're not getting blown off the ball and you're not as good as the other part as well. So that does happen a lot. An absence of those kind of plays is a very fair criticism of where they were this year. But there's a trade-off when you drop 20, 25, 30 pounds and ask them to do some of the things those guys did really well. at. So that's where you hope that you're, you know, you're not going to ever be as good a direct as Dante was you might be better at him on the outside stuff. So that's let's we, I think we just have to caution our sort of, uh, you know, enthusiasm for one thing without considering first what's given up. We're going to see Dante Hightower on this roster this year. I don't know that that's kind of why I couch in all these comments because you know, there's possibility there you get into sort of a Mayo when he was a player or like a Brewski late kind of thing. But you know, that's just, that's such an individual thing. It almost feels unfair to me to even guess or wonder on it because it's just, what does the guy want to do? You know? What kind of sort of late years does he want to do or spend on a roster? And, you know, maybe he does. I don't know him personally, so I can't sort of guess that he would want to do sort of the Pete Rose thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and kind of have partial duty. Troy Brown obviously had some some fun years there at the end where he was a much different role than we remember him as, but he was a huge contributor. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Could he, could he do it? Of course. Um, would seeing a, a player of that incredibly high caliber you know, in later years, in a massively reduced role, be something he wouldn't be comfortable with. I don't know that about him. I couldn't say one way or the other. But sometimes that goes into play where, you know, a guy who's just a Pro Bowl level guy who's been that for most of his career is going to look around for opportunities here or otherwise. Again, I'm not talking about Dante. I'm just saying in in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, And say, you know, I'm what I want to continue to do is what I've always done. Uh, and that's if that uh, if that's not available to me, then you often see guys of that sort of caliber n- not look for the other stuff. But there's other guys that are fully comfortable with, you know, sliding in and finishing off a few years uh, in a different role. But that's just a very individualistic thing. I don't I don't know the person's like to place it. As a guy who played behind Vince Wilfork for a couple of seasons, we've all seen the highlights. We all saw what he was able to do for such a long time in the NFL as a member of the Patriots. I'd be interested in hearing from you from a linebacker's perspective. What made Vince special? What did he do maybe that made it easier for you guys 
to operate within the framework of that defense. The guards don't get uh, the, the offensive guards don't get off the nodes and climb to the mic and will. And that's 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 about as, as simple as I can say it. They they never get to you because if they let off Vince, Vince going to put the center into the quarterback's lap, or he's going to you know drive him back into the running back and just take the ball from him. So the guards have to hang longer on Vince because Vince is such an incredibly dominant human being. So I, I don't remember if this was with Vince or if this was with Keith uh, Trailer. Uh, I know it wasn't with uh, with Big Ted Washington because that was earlier. But you'll recall there was a season there where when Brew had his uh, when Brew had his uh, his uh, sorry his ailment his heart pain what was mm-hmm. it uh, stroke well, the stroke excuse me mm-hmm. when when Brew had his stroke uh, and was out for a while I had to slide in and learn middle linebacker which I you know one of the two inside linebackers so which I've never done and played a bunch of reps there for a handful of games doing that I have a clue what the hell I was doing and you know big Ted Johnson's still on those teams and Ted would talk with me. Fife would talk with me. Roman Pfeiffer would talk with me. And a lot of it was like, when you're trying to learn this, what could make it most difficult is if snap of the ball, while I'm trying to read some sort of run configuration, if it's a pulling guard or, you know, misdirection from the backfield or what the blocking scheme is, where I got to fit to get my fill. It is so much uh, more incredibly easy if the guard isn't climbing you. You know, if you have a one, 1,000, two, 1,000, actually read it and hit it. But it's different if there's a screaming six, four, 320 pound guy in your face that you're trying to both collision and see around to see your fit. And that's, that's what the nose, that's what dominant nose is do. And, it, it, and really, I, I think I tweeted about this when, when I saw the, the news with Vince. It's really the same for Vince as it is for Big C. Uh, you know, Seymour at the other spot. So it's really both those guys are doing the same thing, just different places. They're occupying more people, not that they have to be double teamed the entirety of the whistle, but they're making people, making the second guy hang longer enough to where the people by them get an advantage. Someone like me would love to have that advantage over a terrible pass rusher. So when you get to rush alongside Seymour, he's soaking them up and you're kind of just playing off him to make a play. And it's a little bit similar like that with, with a guy like Vince. Like if you're that guard, you can kind of just flow. Shoot, Ray Lewis for years. I mean, with having Kelly Gregg in earlier years, and I think it was Nada later, um, you know, he, he'd always had, oh, no, I'm sorry. Sergusa. Uh, Goose with, with Tony. Yeah. I mean, just having beast in front of you allows you to just flow and make plays all day long. Doesn't have to worry about being hit immediately. And that's, that's such a valuable thing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not the, the guy who you know, I can wax poetic about it a little bit because I had to do it for a handful of games with Vince. I might see the world more from the outside than that, but I just know when I was trying to learn it and figure it out, it's probably something I took for advantage, like uh, took for granted because it's not, <laughs> it's probably not normal. <laughs> to not have them scream them up on you. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of grew up in a world where, hey, the, the, the end here is going to be a gold jacket guy. The, the guy over the nose should be a gold jacket guy. <laughs> it's like <laughs> everyone around you is doing this at a level that's not normal. You know, you probably take it for granted that it's not like that. It's not the look that every other linebacker. Last question for me, setting aside the fact that Hall of Fame voters appear to prefer their defensive tackles to be pass rushers and not space eaters, make a case for Vince as a pro football hall of famer, because I believe he can be, I believe, I believe he should be part of that conversation, but I'd be curious to hear from another player. I think it's a slam dunk. And I, again, it has nothing to do with me playing with him. Uh, if, if I had this exact same profile uh, and the guy happened to play for the Titans or the chiefs or dolphins or whatever it would be, if you had a guy that was that many pro bowls or all pros um, and I don't know the specific number, but it's, it's, it's at the threshold of what other guys are having that are flying through and then, and, and into the Hall of Fame. Vince is in that level. Uh, if you're also of, of a position that is 
basically it's stat independent. You know, there was the Cortez Kennedy was a good example of it years ago that got in and it was just, you know, maybe he has a slight bit more pass rush to him, but shoot, Vince just didn't get it because he played nose in a three, four. If Vince had spent his entire career in more of a sap type thing, he would have been ex- That's the ex- guy, yeah. I mean, that's the guy that people love, the Hall of Fame voters. Those big outsized personalities who pile up sacks. Yeah, yeah, But, I mean, Vince doesn't have those numbers necessarily because he played a true nose in the 3-4, which is just you you absolutely shut down the middle of the field. Like, you, nobody run, you don't have backs running through eight games, ever. They're not going there because Vince is there. <laughs> and then uh, here's so, but here's the argument. And I think this is how it should always sort of be, be uh, formulated if you're going to try to figure out if a guy's worth. We get into a lot of situations um, with guys who are going to be gold jacket guys that aren't necessarily all decade guys. They're awful good, right? But that eventually you're going to get in. And that happens a lot and should happen. But in the case of Vince, if you were building uh, his decade unit that would go out, He's on it. He, to me, that's the easiest possible way you could sort of do it. If you're putting a starting defense on the field for the decade of the 2010s or whatever, Vince is the nose. He's the nose. There's nobody else. So I don't understand. I don't need to know anything else. <laughs> I don't even know if it was five all pros as opposed to six or four versus six or the number that were first team or second team or if the Pro Bowls were nine versus seven or whatever the heck it was. I mean, that, that, that stuff's relatively immaterial. He played over 10 years, so he's a super long career. It's very, very uh, versatile, and, and uh, he stood up over time, right? It's not like a guy with a short pocket, so we're not talking about that. We're talking about if you had a starting defense, there's no question at the position of nose. And I'd, I'd, I'd give him the job over two, two decades, really. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's the nose. Vince is the nose. He's the guy in the middle of your defense, and you, you would have a hard time picking a different – but there isn't a better option. You know, there might be some that are comparable, like a, and Dominican Sue is kind of sort of similar, similar, but he can play. I mean, he's really more of a three technique. He's not a, but I'm, there isn't a big over the nose that ever did it better than him. Uh, the only reason Vince will be slow, I hope it's not the case, but if he were slow to enter, it's just because of people valuing that position less. Mm-hmm. It's not that he isn't gold, sterling, whatever uh, quality at the one that he had. That was his job and he did it better than anyone ever had. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate being able to hook this up. Hopefully we can connect again sometime between now and the start of training camp, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.